Um, I want to confess something to y'all, um, a, a sin that I've committed many Christmas seasons um, throughout my life, starting in high school. But I don't know if, if anybody's like me, feel free to raise a hand so I don't feel alone here, but every year I would start off with really good intentions about going Christmas shopping for my family members. And then I would get, you know, when I was younger, I would get to the mall because that's where everything was. And... Uh, and I would start to notice things that looked really good to me. And then all of a sudden, I was shopping for me. And then all of a sudden, I was using money that I was supposed to be using for my family to get myself Christmas presents when Christmas was about to happen and other people were about to get me Christmas presents. And I was using my time. And I was, uh, then I would like get to the end of my time and realize that I didn't have much time or money left and would just kind of find stuff for my family members. Anybody ever do that? Yeah, we got a couple. You all are liars. Um, <laughs> but you know what? That continued, guys. That continued into adulthood. And uh, that was a, a, a problem that I had of like, you know, starting out like going for other people and like, this is what Christmas is. Christmas is not like a, a shopping spree for myself. But I would get out there or I would get on the internet and then all of a sudden I would just like, the marketing was just so good. And I would see things that like I really needed and all of a sudden I'm buying stuff for myself. And so all my good intentions kind of went out the window. And that's, that's kind of where we're going with this passage tonight um, is, is me buying Christmas presents for myself is kind of missing the whole point of Christmas and kind of like hoping that I'm going to find life from from the presents that I buy myself. Um, and that's kind of just undoing the whole thing that's supposed to be going on. And uh, this, this passage we're in tonight, this, this series that we're in, we, we've got one more week after this, but it's called God's Orienting Questions. And these are, we're just looking at questions that God asks his people throughout scripture. And God asks his people questions, not because he needs their help, but because um, we need his help. And there's something about these questions that are always an invitation. They're always an invitation to examine your life. Um, and and they're, they're invitations to examine your life in light of what real life really is. Because his hope is that you will, as you answer these questions, um, that he is orienting us toward life. He's showing us both where we are right now and where he wants us going and how to sort of line up and head that direction. So um, this passage is from the prophet Haggai, and this, is, um, this comes in the life of God's people when you know, God has taken his people to the promised land, and he said, hey, it's really simple. Like, I'm your God. You are my people. If you will just trust me, if you'll just obey me, if you'll just put this relationship with me in the center of your life and let everything else revolve around that, then you're going to experience blessings. If you don't, um, you're going to experience cursings because this is not the way to live. This is not the way to find life. And you're going to be tempted when you're around all these other people um, who are not my people and they're worshiping all these false gods um, to follow them, but don't do it. And of course, God's people continue to worship false gods, continue to disobey him, and the Lord in his mercy was so kind and just continued to call them back and say, hey, please don't do this. Please don't do this. He's so long-suffering. He's so good. He's so kind. And then finally, the people just, you know, gave him double birds long enough to where he was finally like, okay, I, this doesn't bring me joy, but like, this is it. 
And so this other nation came in and just wiped him out and took, slaughtered uh, so many of his people, but then took the remaining people to exile in another land. And so that's where they've been. And they've been there for years and years and years. And so now the Lord has opened the door. He's made a way in his mercy, his kindness, his power to bring them back. And so they're coming back to their land. They're coming back to their homeland that they've been missing for so long. <coughs> Excuse me. And they, um, that's not the Delta variant, by the way. And they, um, they're back, and now they've kind of forgotten why they came back. And so this question that he poses, um, well, we're just going to get into it. So these, these first few verses here, um, <clears throat> he says, uh, Haggai is speaking God's word to the people, and he says, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Um, he's like, you know, they out here saying that this isn't time yet. And whenever God starts with these people say, um, it's like, Ooh, okay, hold on. We're about to, it's about to get spicy because I have a feeling that what these people say is not the right thing to say. And so um, these people are bad and why they're, and um, the, the first, you know, they needed a place to, to live, right? So that, so that they could like be safe and be safe from animals and safe from weather. But that's, that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is these people had houses. They already had homes. And now it was time to rebuild the temple. And why was that so important to rebuild the temple? Because back then, before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit would meet with God's people in the temple. This was the place of communion with God. And so what's happening is these people are not short on resources. God has sent them with enough resources to do everything they need and more. But what's happening is these people have gone back and they've gotten back into their homeland, they've gotten comfortable, and they have used their resources to build their own homes, which is, is good and necessary. But then instead of turning and focusing their hearts and their attention on rebuilding the temple, the, the spiritual centerpiece of their entire life from which everything else flows, this relationship with God, they just continued to build their houses. And they, would, they just continued to build their homes, and they just said, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the right time. And, and don't miss this, because, because we do this all the time, and Lord, please convict us of this, but... You know, when they say that, it's, it's not the right time. It's like, hey, there will be a time, right? Like, it, it's very polite. It's like, we mean very well. Like, yeah, we, we intend to do this. Like, don't worry about it. Like, it's coming. It's just right now we just got to finish our, like, kitchen renovation, and there's just a few more things we got to do. And, but the problem is, it's, it's always just around the corner. The time to, to really draw in close to the Lord and make him the centerpiece of my life is always just around the corner. It's never now. It's never here. It's always just over the next hill. Okay, when I graduate. Okay, when I, when I get this work thing figured out. Okay, when I get this marriage thing figured out. When we get our kids situated. When, you know, there's just always like another mile marker down the road and it's just never now. It's never time. And so what happens is these people love wood paneling. They love wood paneling. They would be so excited to get these old ranchers. They wouldn't even have to like redo them. They love wood paneling. And God hates wood paneling. He's like, it's ugly. You got to paint it white. You got to just, no. They, wood, wood paneling is, um, is just kind of this, this piece that he picks out of like, 
like, it's not just that you're rebuilding houses, it's that you're making them very, very nice. They're very ornate. This wood paneling that he's talking about is just like this intricate design that like we're going way above and beyond just like getting a roof over our heads. And not that, you know, not that having a, a nice home is a big deal, it's the priority. It's, it's the doing that first so that I think that, you know, you can't lie, you can't hide from your actions. And so like when I do that first, I'm communicating to God and to the world, this is my priority. This is where I think my life and happiness comes from. And so this question that God asks is it time for you to dwell in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? Um, if we want to translate that for our sake, uh, that question is basically God asking, do you really know where to find life? Do you really know what priorities will bring you life? And the answer is you don't, but I'm going to help you because I'm God and I love you. Um, and so God is, through this question, meeting a really deep, deep, deep need to reorient. And it's re reorienting from these things. It's reorienting from autonomy, both autonomy from the community, from each other. I'm just gonna be concerned over here with my house and making it really nice and comfortable and secure. So I'm not even really concerned about what's going on out there in the community. It's, it's autonomy from him. Um, I don't really, like, you're great, I guess, but like, that's not where my life is coming from. But he's also reorienting from a spiritual deadness. Because think about it, if this is where God met his people and it's just lying in ruins, like we're back at our home and like the people that years ago just leveled this thing and I'm just staring at the ruins of this place where God meets with his people and I'm like, we're cool, we're cool for a few more months. Then you know what that means? That means that now, to me, spiritual deadness has become normative. Like, I'm living in a place where I really don't expect God to show up in my life. I don't expect him to speak to me. I don't expect him to move in my life in powerful ways. I'm just going through the motions. And so when people are saying, no, 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 it's coming, it's coming, um, that's code for like, I, yeah, I don't really believe that anything powerful or life-changing goes on here with, with this relationship between me and the Lord. But it's also a reorienting from uh, this, this sort of present tense, like this material world is all that there is. Because when I'm building my paneled houses above everything else, um, I'm not living with an eternal mindset. I don't really believe in eternity, and I'm not even really thinking about it because this is all that there is. This physical, tangible world, um, this, this comfort, this security, these creature comforts, like this is my value when I don't live with eternity in mind. And so, you know, for us, what does that look like? You know, what does it look like to live this way? It looks like taking things that are God's good gifts to us, but, but making them ultimate. Like going on vacations or, or renovating our homes or food and drink and buying things and just... All these things that we do, these things aren't wrong in and of themselves, but when I look to those things to give me life, to satisfy my soul, it's like the cat lady who can't get enough cats. Like, no amount of cats is gonna satisfy your longing for human connection. It's just not possible. It's like, it's like a car without an engine. Like, all of these things are great. Like, it's really good to have four doors and a steering wheel and the rest of the car, but if you don't have an engine, you don't have anything.
It's really good to go on vacation and get soul rest with people that you love. But like when I'm in a place where it's like, the only way I can rest is to go on a vacation and I have to keep going every single week because it's never enough, that should be telling me something. That like, okay, this is not, something, something is off here. Um, and what this is, what this reveals is just this, in most of it, it's quiet and polite, but it's this quiet and polite pride and unbelief. Like, I really think I can take care of myself. I really think I can make life work on my own terms. And I really don't actually believe what God says. I actually don't believe his promises. When he makes all these amazing promises to me, I'll be with you, I'll be your God, I will, I will guide you, I'll give you your, the Holy Spirit to teach you and lead you. Um, what I'm saying with my life is I'm just raising my hand saying, I don't actually believe that. This is nice, it's like great poetry. And it's, this is a nice place to be, but like, I don't really live like that. And so in verses five through seven, um, the Lord draws out the fruit of living like this, and he, he makes this call to us and to these people, consider your ways. And, and what that means is to like, hey, really just stop and really show up with your entire being right now. Be fully present with me as I'm asking you this question. And I'm asking, it's like the Lord putting his arm around you saying, let's look at your life together. I want you to be all in and focused right here on what I'm about to show you and let's, let's see what you think about it when you really stop and consider the way that you're living. And then, of course, you know, he walks through this whole list and it's this, man, it's convicting to me. Um, verse six, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Um, what he's saying there is, it's not that you literally don't have enough. Like, these people are doing great. In terms of material wealth, they're doing just fine. So you've got plenty of food. You've got plenty of, of drink, but you, you can't ever get full enough. You can't ever get drunk enough. You can't ever buy enough clothes to be warm enough and be satisfied with where you are. And, and when you put your money away when you feel like you're, you're saving. Every time you turn around, you look, and for some reason, that number's just not high enough. It's not that the money is like literally draining out of your bank account and you don't know where it's going. It's that it's still there, and it's the same amount that was there a minute ago. But like, w the more I think about it, it's like, yeah, that's not enough to make me feel secure. And the Lord's saying, yeah, it's never gonna be enough to make you feel secure because you're looking for something spiritual to material things, and they don't have the power to do that. So, you know, when we have plenty of what this world has to offer, but we're still not satisfied, that's this check engine light, and the Lord's saying, hey, like, there's a reason you feel this way. You're, you're looking, you're buying more cats instead of meeting new friends. Um, but so God, again, he just, he bookends this with, hey, hey, come and show up and, and like, why wouldn't you stop to consider this? Because this is your life. Don't let the pace of life, don't let the hustle and bustle like make you live like a fool. Like this is your whole life. And so let's stop, stop moving for 20 minutes and just sit and consider like, is this what my life feels like? Is this what... My life looks like, and, and if it is, do I want to keep living this way? 
And so verse 8 is kind of where all this turns. And, and it's like, what's the solution here? And the solution is, um, God says, rebuild this house. Rebuild this house. You, you want to be satisfied? You want to have life to the fullest? Rebuild this house. And he says, <clears throat> go up to the hills, bring wood, build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And so there's, there's a little bit where, you know, you, you hear him say that. And it's like I read myself into him and I'm like, whoa, selfish much? You're just trying to get after my wood paneling? But like, that's not who God is. God loves us. Like, he doesn't need anything from us. And so, I mean, the, God is not King George from Hamilton. He's not like, well, I wanted you to worship me, and now you're not. It makes me angry. Like, God doesn't need us. But he loves us. And so, um, no, let, let's look at what he says again. Knowing what we know about the temple, that this is where God meets with his people and communes with his people and has intimate fellowship with his people. He says, rebuild this house for two reasons. One, so that I can take pleasure in it. So what is he saying there? He's not looking for a, a building and be like, wow, look how important I am that there's this wonderful building dedicated to me. He's God. He doesn't need that. No, he's saying, I take pleasure in this because this is the place where it happens. I'm taking pleasure in this building because what I'm really taking pleasure in is meeting with my people. Like, that's what brings me joy. And then the second thing he's, the second reason he shares is um, so that I may be glorified. And, it, and really, that's for us. That's for the people. Like, you need to experience God's glory. I need to experience God's glory. And he's saying, rebuild this temple so I can be glorified among you so that you all can experience my glory. So let's just stop there for a minute. That's kind of a churchy word. What is glory? Okay. Glory is um, just awesomeness. So it's, it's power, it's love, it's goodness, um, it's, it's wisdom, it's beauty. Um, we experience glory in lesser forms all the time, in, in a deep friendship, in a, a beautiful landscape, in um, watching a, a baby be born, um, in sex, in intimacy and in friendship and in marriage, in, in seeing a, a physically beautiful person that almost like makes us cower because they're, they're more beautiful than we are, or seeing a powerful person, like watching these athletes in the Olympics, and it's like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you are amazing. You're like, I'm maybe a different species. Um, but it's when we see things that are greater than us, and because they're so beautiful or so awesome or so wise or good or powerful, it just, we stop, and, it, um, and then we ask the question, well, what does glory do for us? Why do we need it so bad? Like, I need to experience God's glory because glory humbles me. Glory thrills me. Glory captivates me. Glory woos me and pulls me in. And God's like, that's my desire for you, is I want you to experience my glory. And I, wanna, I want that experience to pull you in into a deeper, more intimate relationship with me. And so what he's doing is he's, he's making this reorientation. And instead of autonomy, he's saying, you, you don't need autonomy. You need intimacy. You need intimacy with other people. You need intimacy with me, most of all. He's saying you, you, spiritual deadness is not normative. Um, with my people, spiritual vitality, rivers of living water flowing through you is normative. We need to get to that place. And it's not, not living only of this world. It's, it's living in the reality that we are eternal beings. 
And so as an eternal being, if I'm only thinking about this life, then I'm thinking like a fool. Because this life is a blip in, in what is going to be the rest of my experience. It's uh, this, I mean, most of y'all have heard this before, but it's exactly what this trade, this reorientation that he's talking about here is this, this C.S. Lewis quote, um, our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. In Isaiah 60, 19, God says, um, the sun shall be no more uh, your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. There's this union that's gonna happen, that is happening with God and his people where he is my glory. He is our glory. Um, so now looking down at um, verses nine through 11 here, and, and he's talking about this, this disappointment, what's happening when they look for life apart from God. And there's a couple aspects of this disappointment. One, um, if you were here, we talked about Genesis 3. It's just the consequence of sin. It's, it's just, it just is. Like when, when sin enters the world, it just messes things up. It warps and disorients and disintegrates everything. And so he's like, part of the reason you're experiencing this is because that's just the fruit of living like this. It just is. That's in the, the nature and the makeup of you and in this universe. But then the second part is God is actively bringing dissatisfaction. And, you know, he does that in our lives too. And he does that as a gift. Why? Because he's leading us to him. He's cutting off all other exits. So like a little mouse in a maze, like we're having to come to the last door, the only open door, and it's him. Because he's saying, I, I love you too much to let you. The, the word here, um, he, he says, each one busying himself with his own house. It's this, this word that means like running around, darting around quickly, like um, when you kick over an anthill and the ants are just scrambling around. He's like, I love you too much to let you live your life like this. You are running in circles trying to find life from anything other than me, and I will not let that happen because you are my people. And when he draws us in, and he, he makes us do business with him. We finally get so, we finally get frustrated enough. We finally get angry enough. We finally get sad enough. And we, we finally face up to him. Um, what will we find there? We'll find Jesus. And listen, listen to this about Jesus in John eleven four. 4. Um, this, is, this is the story of Jesus and, and raising Lazarus from the dead. And he said, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it because what he was about to do was to go show God's glory by raising this man from the dead, raising this imperfect, sinful man from the dead because he loved him so much and he was giving just a little foretaste of what he really came to do, which was to raise all of us from the dead and give us new life in him because of what he would do for us on the cross. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that all glory, all of God's glory comes rushing forth out of the person of Jesus Christ. All the things we talked about that are, 
that are really like aspects of glory, they're all in Jesus, the power. It's not just the power to, to speak creation into existence, it's the power to take all the weight of the world's sin into yourself and bear that up and go all the way to death so that we could have life. It's beauty, it's, it's look at his life. He is, he is the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. His life was a, a life of joy and love and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness. This is a, a beautiful man, a beautiful life. He is all wise, he is wisdom, he is goodness. So, so all, of, all of the glory in all of the world comes rushing in to our lives, to our faces through Jesus. And now we see this man who is looking at us saying, you don't have to be afraid of God anymore. You don't have to be afraid of God anymore because of who you are and how you've chosen to live your life. That's why I've come. I've come to make a way to bring this glory union back between God and his people. And so now the only thing that's left is to follow him, is to let him lead us to that glory. And so we look at the last few verses of our passage, verses 12 through 15 here, um, and you just see uh, these people responded to the word. They heard this call from Haggai, and, the, and it was the power of the word of the Lord through this man, and they were convicted, and they began to rebuild. They, they heeded his call, and, uh, and they were rebuilding the temple. But then Jesus says in Matthew 12, 6, um, when he's talking about himself, he says, hey, is was something greater than the temple is here now? And, and what does he mean when he says that? Um, he means that as great as it was for God's presence to meet with his people in this building, um, now there's a man here. There's, there's a man who is fully God and fully man who is, is eating and drinking and sleeping and living amongst God's people. Um, and so I'm going to ask us to do something right now. Um, I want everybody to stand up and make a circle, okay? Let's do that. Okay, so, so Jesus said when he was on earth, something greater than the temple is here. And he was talking about himself. And then something even greater than that is possible now that Jesus has, was crucified, died, and was resurrected, and he sent his Holy Spirit to us. And it's this, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you all not know that you are all God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with one another, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I want us to look around the room at the faces of the people in this room because this is what's happening. When, when God calls us to rebuild the temple, when he calls us to build this house, he's talking about building up this body because this is the temple that he has called us to. 
Um, and he's got a lot of little temples all over the world, but this is ours. And so he's saying, if you want to find life, if you want to find glory, um, as, as uh, pedestrian as it looks, you're going to need to look in the faces of these men and women who are sitting next to you and doing life next to you because all of us messed up, sinful, weak, frail people, this is God's plan. This is his plan for us to find life with one another. And guess what? This is also his plan for other people to find life through us because it's, it's not building a, a grand building. It's, it's building this spiritual temple. And that's what our, our um, vision statement for Midtown West talks about. We are on adventure with Jesus to be set free, to set others free, and to enjoy that freedom together. And, and that's, that's what's happening. And so, so God is saying, please, like if you want to find life, let me, l- allow me to reorient you to where um, autonomy and spiritual deadness and this world is not all that you're thinking about. And allow me to use this body of people to do it. And so he's inviting us to lean in so that we'll find life. Um, and when we do, um, other people are going to find life too. And he says in our passage, I mean, guess what? This is going to be scary, right? Um, if, you, if you give any thought to it at all, you realize it's going to be scary because we're, we're asking to get intimate with other people who are sinful and who are hard to get along with. And so the evil one is going to take every opportunity to say, ooh, yeah, that was a weird interaction, that was awkward, or that was offensive, and so you need to take a few steps back, or maybe you just need to go somewhere else or not go anywhere at all. But the Lord's saying, no, 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 don't listen to that. Just keep pushing in, keep pushing in. And what he says here is true for us too. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. No matter what happens with the Delta variant, no matter if we have to put on masks again, no matter what, it's like, I am with you. No matter how weird the person next to me gets, um, I'm with you. Keep building this house. So I'm gonna pray that for us. Father, would you, would you do what you did for your people here? Would you stir our spirits? Um, because I can't make myself wanna do that. I can't, I can't make myself stop believing something that's not true. I can't make myself go look for life where I don't really think life exists. So would you do that? Would you convict me of, of chasing life in places where I can't find it? Would you stir up our spirits um, to find life in you uh, through one another, through your word, through um, just being open to your spirits moving in our lives? And would you be so kind as to allow us to experience um, real life? And ask that in Jesus' name, amen.